SAFM, leading the conversation. The Viewpoint, 8 to 10 p.m. Flipping conventional wisdom on its head. on SAFM. Questioning the ulterior motives to step aside. A conversation with David Letzualo, who's an academic at law, is an activist and a sankarist. The step-aside rule was decided on at NASREC in 2017 that the policy is being drafted. So one would wonder why ANC's senior members are not speaking in unison on a matter that was decided at the most previous conference. Tonight, David Atzualo, about an article that he wrote questioning the ulterior motives to step-aside, is in studio. Among other things, he raises the issue of integrity and how not having provision for a court of integrity in our constitution has also added fuel to the fire. He's also, he, he also highlights, rather, how it is very easy to confuse party politics and the law and how the innocent until proven guilty card can be played to suit any faction. Yeah, that is a mouthful, and this is because one way or the other, somebody is bound to be unhappy, one is bound to be celebrating. David Edzwana, thank you so much for being with us. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Sangezo. How are you? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. There clearly is no consensus on this step-aside policy, if it is a policy or a refrain, if it is that whatever it is within the ANC, the ANC itself is not united on that. Give us a, a bird's-eye view as to why that is. Yeah, thank you very much. Perhaps let me uh, first preface this by, uh, you know, referring to a very, very important quote by um, Dr. Kenneth Kaunda, who famously says that the daily life of a leader is a truth contest. And secondly, another progressive, uh, you know, author in South Africa, Mosma Shamaite, called uh, Achilles, who says that in war, the truth is the first casualty. So if we, if we look at that, then we'll understand why such a simple thing, an obvious thing, is uh, causing uh, you know, problems uh, in, the, in the ruling party and also the nation has actually you know, fallen for, for, for that. So we have actually highlighted an important point to say that there's no consensus or agreement within the ruling party on this. The reality is that we are dealing with a fictionalized organization. We, we, we're talking about a situation where uh, the space is, is, is highly contested for various reasons, uh, you know. So it is important, though, to indicate that integrity is a noble thing. And obviously from people like us, coming from a Sankari's perspective, integrity uh, is at the center of leadership. However, when you have a a space or a, a ruling party which is uh, driven by things that are not really about that very same organization itself. In other ways, when we talk about the ANC, we're talking about contested issues that are not really about the ANC itself. So in, in, in my point of reference is that we're talking about people pushing an ANC uh, interest. So both factions uh, are actually pushing an agenda for me that has got nothing to do with the welfare of the of the ANC. Therefore, we have this space where these things are contested. 
So if the, 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 the leadership or the senior leadership of the ANC itself doesn't seem to be agreed on, because they know that these things are going to be abused. And in fact, there are signs that there is that kind of uh, abuse. So that is where the problem is. However, the key thing, and I think I know you'll understand it, is that we're living in a, a constitutional kind of society or democracy, which is premised on the rule of law, not the rule of ethics. So we, we, we're not talking about courts of law or courts, uh, courts of uh, you know morals or courts of integrity or courts of religion and so on and so on. We're talking about the court of law. The way the Constitution is saying that the Constitution is supreme, then anything that uh, you know can be proposed or advanced will have to hit a brick wall in terms of the fact that we, we're talking about the Constitution that is supreme. In other words, the law, not the integrity or the morals, should reign supreme. And I think that is where the dilemma lies uh, for the ruling party. For me, I think it's caught in you know between the, the rock and the hard place. Do you agree with me when I say, and this is what I'm positing to you, in a society of high ethics, there is less need for rules and regulations to govern the affairs of those people because their ethic is high. And in a society where the ethic is low, that's especially when you need rules and regulations to almost establish a base in terms of how the regulations, I mean, the, the affairs of the people are to be governed. So in other words, the higher the ethic, there's no need to reference the rules book. People know what's right and they know what's wrong and they just act accordingly. And of course, when it's a Vulazburga type setup where anything goes, that's especially when you need the rule book. Yes or no? Do you agree with what I've said? Yes, 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 yes. It's actually crafted it so beautifully. Now, but the problem with that is that you're talking about an ideal world. So there's a there's a difference between living in an ideal world and living in a practical. I don't think I am. I don't think I am. In Scandinavia, this ethic exists in the political space and in society generally speaking. In New Zealand, that ethic exists. We, we, we're talking about societies that have given us this content, not because it's political platitudes, because it's what they do. Ministers have resigned in other countries because they've misspent a credit card on a bottle of wine that they shouldn't. I haven't seen that in this country. I'm not saying it's impossible for it to happen, but I just haven't seen it, and I don't get any sense that it would happen anytime soon if what I am seeing ordinarily is anything to go by. The question that I'm actually asking is, why is that ethic in the political space seemingly such a high bar, such a utopia that we don't even reasonably talk about it? I think I need to indicate that we basically agree, Menu. Sure, sure. We are talking about the South African context. Yes. And hence the point that I'm saying that we are, we are idealistic. And in fact, ever a lot of uh, very very bad things, you know, have happened here under the leadership of the ANC, various presidents, and so on and so on, and no one has ever voluntarily, uh, you know, stepped aside or resigned on on account of that. And interestingly, even now uh, with this step aside uh, thing, there's also a suggestion that people should speak to their conscience, you know, their ethical, you know, room. 
to 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 voluntarily sort of uh, you know step aside, but it it won't happen given the the dynamics of uh, the country, the dynamics of the ruling party, the the organizational culture as as it were. So we we are striving to have uh, you know leadership of integrity, ethical leadership. However, the reality uh, on the ground, the reality that we have in, the, in in this country, points to otherwise. Actually, it's interesting that um, we we have a, a culture of let's let's talk about uh, you know corruption. We've got a culture that has been introduced. Uh, not because it is a freedom ideal. Nowhere in the Freedom Charter we talk about people having, you know, wealth to themselves, you know, BEE and all that. So when people see the, the leadership having this, uh, you know, ostentatious kind of life, you know, billionaires and all that, all that, they also want to be like them. So we will never, we'll never have that kind of situation that you are uh, actually alluding to. So I think it is up to society, me and you, to play a, a role, uh, you know, a small role in our own spaces to conscientize society about the importance of leadership. That it's not about just putting somebody into office. You look at the, the character and substance of that leadership. Hence, I indicated that the issue of the truth and, uh, you know, politics is, is, is a very, very nice or, you know, good in, intersection that needs to be uh, inspected and highly scrutinized. So that is a, a bar that, uh, you know, Sankara actually raised. And many people in Africa, many leaders in Africa post, uh, you know, uh, independence and, you know, uh, post-1994 have failed dismally to actually uh, reach that. So that is where we are at, at the moment. And I, as long as we have this, elements of corruption, malfeasance, uh, capture, proxyism within the party and all that, we are not going to have a smooth uh, sailing as far as um, stepping aside is concerned. And whereas people are pushing for people to step aside on the basis that they've been charged, and the Constitution talks about uh, you are innocent until proven guilty, not you are innocent until uh, until charged by Whoever, be it the, the, the but surely the I'm expecting that, and, and in our agreement, why should that always be the reference point? The innocence until proven guilty by a court of law. Surely there must be something to be said for a moral presence in an individual who occupies a space of leadership, who presides over precious few state resources, who has one's arduous obligations to the development of a society, to the eradication in, in one's part of the abject poverty that many millions of South Africans are subjected to. When we want to assume a position on the global stage as a leader as opposed to merely being there as an observer or just a mere participant, one wants to see all of these things that speak to progress and even the ideals in a person being embodied, how they speak, how they carry themselves, how they present themselves, and how they carry even their weaknesses, not weaknesses that ultimately bring down the house, as it were, but simply augment humanity for humanity's sake and its development. Why then is the reference to Lord the benchmark as opposed to one's moral presence not being the benchmark? This is, this is uh, as long as the problem with that view is that 
uh, where is the standard and who does it? Because we're dealing with issues of uh, human beings here. We're not dealing with uh, atoms. Talking about people with subjectivity, opinions, you know, values and so on and so on. So in the end, there is a question of relativity. And that's where the issue of abuse comes into being. Now, if there are people who are, have got uh, you know, powerful influence in society because of the media and whatever power they have, so they can drive an agenda and a narrative that paints certain people in a particular way. So if, if uh, I manage to influence society in a particular mm. way you know, against you, then that's, that's where the issue of the court of public opinion comes in. And you know the, the problem with that. The, the importance of uh, living in a society where there's a rule of law rather than rule of ethics, it's, uh, it, it's about you know, creating legal order rather than uh, anarchy. But, but obviously, can, can it, I, it, sorry? It, okay, sure, okay. You, I, I don't want to lose this point because you're going to move on, I know. But this thing, who is the standard? The ANC is its own standard. The ANC will quote the year of Oliver Tambo, the year of Mama Albertina Sisulu, our heroes, our forefathers, Chief Albert Lutuli. They'll even go back to the founders for instance, and mm. now of late Babu Madiba, Mandela. Mm. So those are the standards of the ANC. Could some of these names, and I'm not at all going to mention any name because it's, it's not around an individual, but rather the ANC of now versus mm. the ANC mm-hmm. of then. Are the members of the ANC present now of comparable ilk, are they cut from that cloth? of the names that the ANC even today still references? Or is it because the ANC is referencing those names, even now, a confirmation of the ANC's gross detraction from its DNA, such that whenever they're looking for a moral compass, they're not referencing to a leader now, but they are referencing to a leader then? Exactly the point. Uh, I said that there are a lot of distractions there is the, the ANC on paper, the ANC as, uh, you know, in terms of their own uh, policies, uh, constitution, or even the Freedom Charter itself. But there is, in terms of practice, there is a, 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 a radical departure from that very same document that is supposed to be characterizing the nature and, you know, being of the, of the ANC as an, as an organization. So it's it wasn't good to have, uh, you know, role models you know in your in your own space in your own organization but it's quite another to live by those kind of principles so here we're talking about as i indicated a situation where there is a, a complete rot you know if i can use that kind of expression so where the, the, we've got proximism and uh, you know capture and many other things that are abounding in the in the in the organization itself obviously the the principles of the organization itself are going to be, uh, you know, to, uh, are going to be casualty to all these kind of things. So that is the, the dilemma that the ANC is facing at the moment. Let me ask this. I was once at the funeral of the late uh, Reverend Stofile, incidentally at the University of Fort Hema, Alma Mater. One of the political activists of the time, a lawyer by training, Dadain Asiwisa, reflected on what was happening in the country at the time. This is now 2016 in August. The ANC have just pretty much been swatted at the local government elections. 
Sipopikiana goes on to say Ngamalala, I urge Mkuruwaum to step down. So it was a politically charged funeral. That also was a reference to the fact that the ANC had even lost the culture without there ever being an integrity commission or a court of law more especially to enforce its moral compass, if you will. There was that culture that said when a leader had become embroiled in what to the ANC was scandal or scandalous, it was enough for ANC leadership to have a conversation with that individual or group of individuals to simply move aside. That was the culture. I guess the question has to be why that culture is untenable now such that it, it, it cannot absolutely fly. There's an integrity commission. It has come up with many sorts of reports. It is no more than that, a report. Otherwise, the marching orders are simple. I carry on until a court of law decides otherwise. And even then, it's not a guarantee that my fate is sealed. Why is that so untenable within the party? I, I like the fact that you made uh, you know, reference to that particular example you know, in, the, in, I think, the Eastern Cape. Um, you see, it is difficult to uh, actually understand certain costs. They might be innocently... They might, they might, they might look or sound very, very noble and well-intentioned. Um, however, when you start to look at the pattern, you find that actually these people are actually themselves uh, pushing an agenda of uh, certain forces that uh, have actually, you know, con- you know, taken control of them. So you find somebody speaking in those kind of, uh, you know, terms for somebody to move aside. And later on, you realize that hey, actually this person is, uh, you know, is actually uh, pushing the agenda of big, big white uh, business or white monopoly capital, as uh, as is uh, fondly, you know, referred to these days. So it is a very, very polluted kind of uh, space that you never know who who is well intentioned and who is not. But in the ideal sense, we would really love to have leaders who would be ethical would you know be you know having the interests of the people at at you know at, at heart but what we see and what we actually experience is the direct opposite thereof so i think this is a big big challenge that the, the organization and society generally will have to to contend with and i think this is the opportunity i think for well-meaning uh, you know opposition parties to to alert society to this and take advantage, if you like, on behalf of the people to say, this is the kind of leadership that we don't really want. So I think for the electoral system itself, uh, such, you know, malfeasance and problems within the ruling party, uh, you know, give an opportunity for opposing parties to actually, you know, push an agenda on behalf of the, the people in terms of how they would have uh, framed their manifesto and their ideology. So I, I think, okay. Sorry, sorry. What do you think? But I, I, I really think that uh, for me it is uh, the opportune time when things are like this for the pro-black kind of uh, you know organization parties to rally together to look at what is there for the interest of our people. You know, why can't we get together, kill this this unit, this unity thing? And look at what is it that our people want, and therefore take the the the, the, the struggle forward. Because for me, the struggle has never been, uh, you know, co- co- completed. So I think that is the challenge that uh, you know black political parties should actually look into. 
and not just uh, you know look at the ANC as the leader of society, so-called, and just hope that you know one day things will be okay. There need to be an aggressive and uh, you know concerted effort on you know on the part of black political parties to drive the agenda of black people. Final comment from you, and I've got literally thirty seconds to ask the question and to have your response. Former President Khalima Motlante on BBC had once said, "For the ANC to correct itself, it would have first have to be out of government." What are your thoughts on that insofar as it relates to the liberalness of the ANC's policy in terms of getting membership? It's a very low bar to be an ANC member and similarly a low bar to be a leader within the ANC for so long as you can command support of the majority who vote at that time in that space. Your thoughts on that? I'm giving you 10 seconds. I really believe that that is the correct view. And in fact, it's a view from you know Franz Fanon who said in order for something good to be to be born, something must die. So I think the ANC must, uh, you know, disappear a bit, and then so that it can be reborn. Maybe well. it will come back, you know, pro-black organization if it was, uh, you know, framed in 1912 by the Africanists. Thank you. Of course, the question that remains is: when the ANC is dead in the interim, at the very least, who becomes the ANC? <laughs> Twenty-one hours, a conversation <laughs> for another day, Mr. David Gonzalez. Thank you so much for your thoughts. Thank you so much, Bungus. Twenty-one hours, time for news.